Hey, good morning, guys. It's Pastor Randy here with Made Free Church. And welcome to the Sunday morning church service here at Made Free Church. Um, give a little bit background before we get started. You know, back in February of 2021, we're marking our coming up on our two-year anniversary of being a church. Um, and, uh, you know, we were meeting uh, regularly in February, and then we got put on lockdown, and then our meeting place goes. So what we did is we pushed everything online and on podcasting and stuff like that. So, um, God, God is so good, guys. God is so good. So what we're going to study this morning is what is grace, right? And we're going to be in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 9 this morning. Um, and this is going with the series, Is Christianity Explained? And um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, let's get into prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we get just to share your word with people, whether it's online or in a congregation or wherever it's at, God. Lord, I just ask that you get me out of the way and let your word go through, Lord. We love you, we worship you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Right on. Sorry about the green glow. We're trying to fix it, um, but it is what it is, right? Let me turn on some music. All right. <laughs> guys, um, uh, just a few announcements before we get started. If you guys need prayer... We have a whole intercessory prayer team that has been set up to pray over your prayer requests. All you guys got to do is just go to madefreechurch.org, put it in your, there's a prayer request tab. You can put your prayer, uh, prayer request there. And me, the pastors here, um, will pray over those all week long for you. So madefreechurch.org, go to the prayer request team, uh, prayer request tab. Um, let's just get into this. You know, I got a couple more announcements at the end, but uh, let's let's get into it. Okay. So in June of 2006, Warren Buffett, one at that time, he was the second richest man at that time, right? Announced that he would donate 85 percent of his 44 billion dollar fortune to five charitable organizations. Commenting on this extreme level of ge ge uh, generosity. Buffett said, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a, is a great way. Many people like Warren Buffett, they think there is, one, there is more than one way to get to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Today, I want to explain God's grace and implications. Right? Mark says, uh, at, a, at the very start of his gospel, in Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel, i.e. the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we started to explore exactly why Mark describes Jesus as good news, right? And we've seen who Jesus is, that, you know, he has the power and authority of God himself. We've seen that, we've seen what he came to do to rescue sinners like you and me. For my, uh, uh, by dying on the cross for us. And this morning, I want to begin by asking you of, of the, uh, the following question. If you were to die today and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? 
right? Now, most of you guys would say, oh, I'm a good person, I'm this, I'm that. But let me ask this question again. And I don't mean to be morbid, right? Um, but if you were to die today and found yourself standing before God and he asked, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, now according to the Bible, answers to this question always falls into two categories, the right answer and the wrong answers. So let's look at the wrong answers first. The wrong answer is one that places confidence in what I am and what have I, I've done. So, like I said, God, why? You should let me in to heaven because I am afraid you're on the wrong track, right? Perhaps you said something like, let me, uh, let me in God because I'm a pretty good, uh, I'm pretty good and, and, and on the whole, you know, I'm a good person. I don't steal, I don't lie. Well, not unless I have absolutely have to. Um, I give to charity, not as much as Warren Buffett, but I still give what I think is a lot of money to charity. I certainly never killed anyone. Actually, there's a lot of people worse than I am. I pay my taxes. I don't drive through red lights. Uh, and other people like uh, uh, other people like having me around. So God, so I imagine that God uh, will too, right? You know, they, they sound pretty reasonable answers. You know, it does. But I can assure you none of those answers are any use at all when it comes to entering heaven. Another wrong answer is a religious, a religious one. Uh, you may be relying on your religious habits to get you into heaven. So perhaps you said something like this, God, you should let me in because I go to church. I never take your name in vain. When others do, I strongly disapprove. I do good things in, in the community. I've, I've been baptized. I go to communion. I sing in the choir. I pray daily. I read my Bible regularly. And there aren't many people you can say that about in this day and age. You're correct that you're in the minority. But the religious answers are still wrong. If you said something like that, then let me say to you categorically that doing religious things will not get you into heaven either. Again and again, Jesus taught that the religious observance has no power to save people. Now, if you're putting your confidence here, please, please don't because you've been misled. In fact, any answers which places confidence in what I am or what I do is absolutely useless. The, a the answers that begin, God, you should let me into heaven because I will do no good. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things at all in themselves. It's, it's good when people try to live honest, selfless lives. But the good things we won't the good things that we do won't get us into heaven. Why? Because they don't and they can't solve the biggest problem that we have, the biggest pandemic we have of our sin. Now, remember what Jesus said in Mark 7, uh, 20 through 23. He said this, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, 
Out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they they defile a person. The good things we do count for nothing before God because our key problem lies deep down in our heart. Now, when Jesus talks about the heart, he's not simply talking about the heart that pumps blood and sends blood around the body. He's referring to the very core of the being, the source of all of our urges, instincts, desires, and dreams. Jesus says, we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, Mark 12, 30. But see, that's not the way we live. That's not our heartbeat. So our good deeds, whatever they may be, are fine in themselves, but they cannot solve the problem that keeps us from God, our sin. According to Jesus, the biggest problem is what we are deep in our own hearts. We are sinful, right? You know, according, uh, and, and, and nothing that we can do can change that. Our good deeds are like band-aids. They might cover up what, we, what we're really like, but they are powerless to actually cure us. Now I want to stress, there's nothing wrong with good deeds at all. You know what I mean? There really, really isn't. They only become dangerous when, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and Mark. Now, I delude myself into thinking that God will accept me because of them. You see, these religious leaders and authorities had already decided that the criteria by which God would accept them. They kept their own rules and traditions. Getting to God to accept them meant attending to external details. For example, they were to wash in special ways and avoiding eating, uh, uh, eating certain things. It was all about the outward ritual and nothing to do with the inner problem. The selfishness of the human heart. That's why Jesus says to, uh, uh, says this about them in Mark 7, 6. The, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, they do worship me, teaching the doctrines of commandments of men. So it's so much easier for us to concentrate on the outside appearance to stick on a few band-aids rather than face up to what is really within us. And Jesus insisted that no amount of religious tradition or morality or Bible reading or turning over new leaves can bring our hearts any closer to God because out of our hearts, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, Uh, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So let's be honest about our own hearts and try to apply the words on this list to ourselves. Let me ask you this. 
What would it be like to have never lied? What would it be? What, what, what would it be like never to have nurtured bitterness or hatred? What it would be like if you've never have to gossip? What it would be like never to have been selfish or greedy? What it would have been like to never had entered into a conversation in which our whole purpose was to promote ourselves before others, even if we do that subtly, uh, subtly? What would it be like never to have nurtured dirty thoughts? What would it be like if we never feel vindictive or a little jealous when we hear another person's success? And what would it be like on the positive side, to have always loved God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and strength. What would it be like to have always loved other people ourselves? Well, Paul, one of the most effective Christians, Christian workers in all of the, in history, lamented at the state of his heart when he wrote uh, Romans seven nineteen, for I do not the good I want to, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Jesus' words about evil of the human heart are as true for Paul as they are for us. Can we, with, you know, can we, with the Pharisees, hope that good things will will, will cover our evil in our hearts? No, according to Jesus, that is the wrong answer. There is... In fact, nothing you can do to save your... There's nothing you or I can do to save ourselves. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. There's the right answers to God's question. Why I should get into heaven. According to the Bible, the right answer has to do with God's grace. The right answer is something like this. God, you should let me into heaven, not because anything that I have done, but because what Christ has done alone. In other words, it's not about the good things that we've done for God, but rather it's about the good thing Christ has done for us. He died on the cross so that we would be forgiven of our sin. He was abandoned so that we could be accepted. Listen to what Paul has to say in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing, but it's a gift from God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day. And I asked my friend, do you believe that you can lose your salvation? And my friend goes, yeah. I said, how? Well, you know this, this and that, right? And I'm like, you can never lose your salvation. Your salvation is a gift from God and it's eternal. Has nothing to do with outside. Nothing to do with outside appearance. Nothing. Has nothing that we have done. It's like, if you were to lose your salvation every time that you sin, you'd never be saved. Because we sin knowingly and we sin unknowingly, right? Because of what happened in Genesis 2 and 3 of the fall of Adam and Eve. 
So if we're, if we're able to lose our salvation based on our sinful hearts and based on our sin, we're not saved, guys. Right? And, and, and the Holy Spirit cannot reside in us if we're not saved. So your salvation is eternal. So we are saved by, by faith, placing our trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're not saved by anything that we do, by being nice people, by paying our bills on time, or going to church, or reading our Bible. No, we are saved from the eternal punishment by Jesus' death on the cross. And it's a gift. You can't earn it by works, and you, and you can't boast about it. It's a gift from God. Right? You have nothing. Only The only forgiveness available to us is the forgiveness received because of what Christ did because only Christ's death deals with the problem of the human heart Les Miserables tells the story of a, a, a criminal named Jean Valjean a tough bitter man he has spent 19 years in prison when he was finally released he finds it impossible to find work or shelter because no one wants anything to do with him but finally he is taken in by a kindly, a kindly bishop who gives him food and a place to stay. In the middle of the night, Valjean creeps downstairs and steals the bishop's silver. He quickly is caught by three constables and brought him back to the bishop's house. Things look desperate for Valjean. The bishop had the opportunity to incriminate him for his act of betrayal and, and have him in prison for the rest of his life. But instead... The bishop says to Valjean, So here you are. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten that I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest, worth about 200 francs. Did you forget them? Did you forget to take them? So, at a considerable cost to himself, the bishop asks the constables to let Valjean go. Now, after they have, they've gone, the bishop insists that Valjean keep the silver and the candlesticks. Basically, the bishop absorbs the cost of the silver and tells Valjean, do not forget, not even, not, do not ever forget that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. So stunned, Valjean is released and given this sil uh, the silver candlesticks as well. Valjean stutters, and why? why, why, why are you doing this? And the bishop replies, Jean Valjean, my brother, you are no longer, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul, and now I am giving it back to God. See, now the bishop could have treated Valjean in one of three ways, right? First, he could have treated Valjean with justice. He could have, you know, given him exactly what his deeds deserve. He could have said, give me back my silver, got the constables to arrest him and have packed off. And, he, you know, he, he, he would have been off to prison. That would be justice, simply giving him what he deserves. No more, no less. Second, he could have treated Valjean with leniency and could have said, well, I want my silver back, but I won't press charges. That would be leniency, giving him 
a little bit of what he deserves. Now the last option open to the bishop is the option he actually takes. He treats Valjean with grace. He says, I know what you've done and how have you abused my generosity. But look, keep this over. Take the candlesticks as well. You can go free. The only thing that I ask you use the money to change your life for the better. It's crazy, right? He gives the criminals, he gives the criminal standing before him a very expensive gift, one that is totally undeserved. That is grace, treating him with undeserved love and generosity. He will never understand Christianity until, matter of fact, we will never understand Christianity until we see ourselves in exactly the same position as Valjean. All of us will stand before God as Valjean stood before the bishop, utterly guilty, deserving judgment for the way that we abused his love for us and with no way of putting the situation right. But rather than treating us as we deserve, God in his amazing grace and generosity offers us forgiveness. Forgiveness that is made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And remember that this forgiveness is a gift of God. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. The right answer again is I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's why you should let me into heaven. Now, we can only give that answer when we realize that we are powerless to save ourselves. We turn to God in utter dependence and weakness, realizing that nothing that we do will be enough to cure the problem of the human heart. And surprising, it's not surprising that some people find this very hard. It is, it is difficult not only to admit how weak and how dependent they are, but it's also to accept anything costly could give them, given to them for free. It's hard to accept the gift from God when all of our lives we've been taught that we have to earn our supper, earn our praise, earn our salary. But the truth is that the Christian life is not about duty. It's about receiving a gift I don't deserve and living a life of thanks for that gift. In fact, charis or, char or charis, a Greek word for grace also means rejoice. And when we know that as soon as we accept that gift, we will have eternal life in heaven. We are accepted by God. But what happens in the meantime? Victor Hugo wrote, life's greatest happiness is to be convinced we are loved. And in Les Miserables, we see that undeserved forgiveness of generosity that Valjean receives from the bishop that changes his life. It unlocks his heart and it unleashes the potential 
<coughs> excuse me. He is ransomed. He is ransomed uh, from fear and hatred, and becomes a human being of remarkable generosity and mercy, touching numerous lives. And it all stems from the new identity he found when the bishop treated him with grace. You see, God's grace allows me to find my new identity, my ultimate worth of being uh, as a human being because God knows exactly what what I'm like, yet he loves me anyway. And that is such an awesome relief. God, the grace means God knows all about my sin, yet he still loves me unconditionally. The cross makes that very clear. Because even though he knows what I'm like, Christ still died on my behalf. The very person who will ultimately judge the world loves me completely and unalterably, right? What greater proof of love could there be than to die for someone? Although we are more sinful than we've ever realized, but we're more loved than we had ever dreamed. And that's the hope that we find as Christians. This unconditional love means three things. First, there are no masks to wear. As Philip Yancey said in his book, What I'm So Amazing About Grace, there is nothing I can do to make God love me more and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. God knows exactly what I am, yet he still loves me. That means I don't have to pretend with God. There's no hiding behind masks. Have you ever been worried about what your friends would think about you if they knew something about you? Perhaps you've been concerned about being misunderstood or your your reputation being harmed. So you've kept things quiet. But God knows the absolute truth about us. And it's much worse than what our friends think. God knows the truth and yet he still loves me. So I don't have to wear a mask because I am loved unconditionally. It's an extraordinary relief to know, to to, to no longer have to hide the truth about ourselves. Second, there's nothing to prove. The Olympic diver, uh, Greg Luganis, once asked how he performed so well under pressure. And he replied, well, even if I blow my dive, my mother still loves me. You see, He reminds himself of the relationship that will remain the same whatever his performance is. Luganus has nothing to prove to his mother. She loves him anyway. And in the same way, if we put our trust in Christ, we have got nothing to prove to God. Now, that that is a great truth because we live in a culture of conditional love. At school... We're told over and over again, if you get the right grades, we affirm you and will and, and make you feel loved. But if you don't, we'll withdraw that love. As we get older, 
Love always seems to come with a price tag. I'll love you if you are young enough, successful enough, beautiful enough, talented enough, thin enough. And the list goes on from there. People, people's whole lives can be conditioned by the sense of use uh, that unless they are constantly, they constantly prove themselves conditional love, but by unconditional love, it's not about duty of, or approving yourself. It's about receiving a gift you don't deserve and can't earn. And then living a life of thanks for that gift. And third, there are no grudges to bear. You see, God's grace affects every other relationship we have. Jesus taught his followers to pray and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 12. Now, as you know, forgiving people who wrong you is extremely difficult thing to do but it's much easier to forgive ourselves when we remember how much God has forgiven us in the first place so this is grace sending Christ to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven then though I've done nothing to earn it even though I deserve punishment in the light of that there is no need to pretend we're something we're not or boast about something we achieved. And there is, there is every reason to freely forgive those who wronged us. I hope you guys can see that through, although you are more sinful than you realize, you are more loved than you've ever, ever dreamed. And this is the greatest gift that we have, guys. The greatest gift that we have. is that we are so loved by God, even through our sinfulness, even through our lust, our lies, our homosexuality, our whatever it may be, our drunkenness, our drugs, all of that, we're forgiven, guys, because of what Christ did on the cross for us. That is what grace is. And guys, you can never lose your salvation. You trust in God, and he saves you from that, which is a given. Once you put your trust in God, you're saved. You can never lose your salvation, guys, ever. Your salvation is completely and utterly eternal. And so, that being said, guys, I hope you guys are liking the series. I know I am. You know, um, it's, it's just amazing to see what God has done in my life and what God is doing in others' life around me just a couple of more announcements before we close in prayer guys if you like guys like to, to support made free church in any way shape or form please go to madefreechurch.org and go to the giving tab there's three ways to give you can give through our cash app you can give through our paypal link or you can send a check and money order that's on the website um and if you'd like to check out my personal website oops let me take that out if you'd like to go see my personal website you can go to reformpastor.me and check us out um, and guys please give to Made Free Church we do have a small overhead right now 
But we want to open a men's home and a woman's discipleship home and get our building. Your giving will help us with that. We are at 501c3, so please send us your email. Make sure that when you give, that you uh, give in your, you know, you send your email through the the cash app and the, and the PayPal link. Guys, we don't make any money doing this. None of the pastors, none of the staff here are, the, we all volunteer. We don't make it. We all have normal jobs. So all your money does go to something that is worthwhile, right? And guys, I want to thank you for watching. God bless you guys. May, may God richly bless your lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity that we get just to hear your word. We love you. We worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you guys have a great day. God bless.